0: We ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. I always knew that there were certain pathways I could take. I always had decisions to make. Sometimes I made the right ones. Sometimes I realized I was on the wrong path. Anybody been there? Wrong path before? Don't like it too much. Once, burn? Yeah. Yeah. Are you really paying attention? I always wanted to do that. (laughs) Now you're paying attention. You need to hear this today, my friends. You know why? Because God has a word for you. He wants you to know that there are pathways that you can choose, and there are some that you can't. But the ones that you have the ability and authority to choose, he wants you to take the right ones. The ones that he lays out. And so I've entitled this message today, The Slam Dunk Three Ways of Easter. The Slam Dunk Three Ways of Easter. In other words, it's a slam dunk. You can't stop it. These are the ones that you've got to follow if you're a Christian. You've got to follow them. You probably heard the song, Via Dolorosa. No, we didn't sing it this year. But it's a wonderful song, and the message is incredible. But you may not know the meaning of the title. Now, Via Dolorosa is the name of a street in the old city of Jerusalem. Did anybody know that? Okay, so it is. Now, scholars believe it was the path that Jesus probably walked on his way to the place of the skull, which would be called Golgotha. And there he was crucified, you know, on Good Friday. Although it likely happened actually on Thursday. So don't panic when you hear me say that. Okay, because the fact of the matter is that Jewish days go from sundown to sundown, not from 1201 to midnight. You understand? So sundown to sundown. So probably happened on Thursday sometime around 9 a.m. And he had to be buried sometime after 3, thereabout. Okay, to get ready for Passover. Passover would have been on Thursday our Thursday, his Friday. Make sense? I didn't lose you, right? Okay, so most likely that's what would have happened, but either way, the fact is, Via Dolorosa is Latin for the way of grief or suffering, the way of grief or suffering, and so the Via Dolorosa actually represents the way of suffering and sorrow that Jesus took while he was on his way, get this, to the cross, yeah, the way to the cross, and of course today is Easter, which is a day of joy, not sorrow. Amen. Are you with me? Do I need to get find another ping pong ball and chuck it out there? Now, a friend of mine uh, came in, and he had a he had a dart in his hand. Everybody, anybody ever play darts? Now, I'm not talking about the electronic ones. I'm talking about the ones that had the the end on it where if you it would stick in something. And he he made sure everybody saw it. You know, we all knew he had it in his hand, he was horsing around. And then he, you know, not known to us, unscrewed it and then threw it at us. Of course, everybody panics, you know. Wouldn't you panic if somebody threw a dart at you? Yeah. And then, of course, you're all doing this and there's nothing to it. But it was attention getter. God wants to get our attention today. Because, friends, there's some things we have to understand. Even though Easter is a day of joy, not sorrow, it's a day when we celebrate his resurrection, not dwell on his death. So what are we doing talking about suffering and death this morning instead of resurrection? It's a fair question. Why would we be talking about that? And I have my reasons for it. Because the fact is, his suffering and death and his resurrection are all connected. They had to happen in succession. They had to happen that way. You and I wouldn't choose it. But God did, and there's a reason why he did it, and because he did, we are all subjected to it. In fact, in our scripture today, which is Matthew 16:21, 21, do one, don't have to turn there, I'll, I'll be done before you get there. Matthew 16:21. we read this, from, the time on Je- from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. That's what Matthew tells us. So the way of resurrection required that Jesus first walk the ways, get this, of suffering and death. Suffering and death had to come first. And for the Christian, I have news for you. It is the same. (laughs) What? It is. It's the same. Why? To, tell, to help us fully understand our own coming resurrection. Now, I want to talk about the three ways of Easter. Clearly, these are the three ways that Jesus had to walk, and they're the three ways that every Christian has to walk. Being a Christian means following Jesus, does it not? How many of you know that following Jesus is a walk? Okay, so you know that if you're going to walk that way, then you've got to follow him because that's where he's going. So following Jesus means walking the same pathways that he walked and following in his way. So let's talk about them. And I want to start with the way of suffering and sorrow. You see, Jesus came to suffer. And the Bible is clear to us that we will as well. You will suffer in this life simply because you're a human. Since the first humans were chucked out of the garden into what would be suffering, Every human thereafter has to do the same. Amen? So there are some things in your life that you're never going to be able to get away from because you're human and you live in this life, you will suffer. And then you're going to suffer by choice. Or not. Let's face it. Every one of us has made poor choices and suffered because of them. Amen? But as a Christian, you'll make the right choice and suffer too. Ooh, wait a minute. I did it right, and I'm going to suffer? Yep. And that's why many won't. Is that profound today? Are you grasping this? Remember, Jesus told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Now, notice the word here, the most important word in the phrase, must. He must suffer. Suffering wasn't an option for him. In fact, the way to eternal life first led through the way of suffering. And when Jesus spoke these words, he was, of course, thinking about the cross. But more than that, the beating, the ridicule, the scourging, the humility, and the horrific shame that came with it all, as well as the parade through Jerusalem all the way to Golgotha. But you see, his way of suffering and sorrow didn't begin with the Via Dolorosa. It began with a different journey. It really began with his journey from heaven to earth. Now, are you just tired today? Or are you that smitten with what I'm trying to tell you? Because you're awful quiet. There's some serious truth here. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2 that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Philippians 2. So Jesus left his perfect home in heaven to come to earth as what? A human, as a man. Because heaven is a place of glory and perfection, is it not? Does everybody believe it to be a place of glory and perfection? Because I do. That's how I see it. I believe it to be the best thing ever. And if you're a Christian, you should think that. And yet, earth is this place of dirt and dust, trouble and sorrow, hatred, discontent, self-centeredness, and absolutely imperfection. Isn't it? And yet, Jesus wasn't sheltered in any way from the troubles of humankind. Everything we go through, he did in more. More than almost any of us. In fact, the prophet Isaiah described him, get this, as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, according to Isaiah 53. And so Jesus went through the same types of trials that you and I experienced, in fact, more so than we ever will, probably. He experienced hunger, thirst, and absolutely fatigue. And some of his fatigue wasn't just being tired, it was being, he was fatigued of people. He even said so. The French say, fatigué. J'ai fatigué. C'est correctement? Any French speakers out there? Yeah, mine's kind of rusty. But that's what it means. Fatigued. You know, you can be tired physically. You can be tired mentally. And you can be tired emotionally. And Jesus was all of those things just as we are. In fact, his disappointment had to be greater than mine. I, I know that those closest to you will disappoint you. Anybody been disappointed before by those closest to him? How often do you think <laughs> we do the same to him? Yeah. Do you think the disciples did that? He said they did. So he suffered too. He faced conflict and confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. And he knew the rejection of his family and his friends. His brothers didn't even believe in him. Their whole lives they were taught this is who he is. And they didn't buy it. Not one bit. And it wasn't until after he died that they started to believe it. So he never knew. In this life, he never knew their support, their belief in him. That had to hurt anybody, which is why mom was all alone all the time when she came to see him. Can you imagine not being able to celebrate anything with your family because they don't believe in you? In fact, they have disdain for you. Oh, you think you're God's son, huh? Right? And yet he was. I ask a Sunday school teacher when I was in sixth grade one time, well, could he have proven it? She said, of course he could. In fact, he did, but they wouldn't buy it. Well, well, I, why couldn't he have done something more so they couldn't not believe? Well, he did. <laughs> and it translates to today because I ask people who are skeptical of a Christian life and of God and, and salvation, I say, well, what would God have to do to prove to you that he's real? And I'm asking you the same thing today. What would God have to do to prove to you that he's real? And you can say, well, I, I, I do believe it. I'm here, aren't I? But that's not what proves that you know he's real. Because if you knew he was really the Christ, look at the disciples. Who do people say I am? Well, some say this, some say that. Well, who do you say I am? Well, you're, you're the Son of God. You're the Christ. And immediately, I'm um, paraphrase him, Jesus says, well, then start acting like that. Amen? And the question is, are we? Are we acting every day? Are we thinking and believing that we know who he is? <laughs> Jesus suffered disappointment, and yet he never backed down from his mission. I think that is stunning to me. In fact, we read in Luke 9 that as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew what was going to be there if he went. And the disciples said, oh, let's not go there. And he said, I'm going. And the Bible says resolutely. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer all these things. And so he set his face toward the city and willingly walked The way of suffering and sorrow for you and me, the Via Dolorosa. Humans, you know, also walk this path of suffering and sorrow. How many of you are keenly aware of that? Oh, just a few of you today. Probably more than that. Why? Because, friends, and get this, we will walk a path of suffering and sorrow because we live in a fallen world. Might want to write that down. Jonathan, that might want to be posted somewhere. We will walk a path of suffering and sorrow because we live in a fallen world. There's no way around it. It's a world of sadness that's under the rule of Satan. Why? Due to sin. Satan could not have ruled had we not fallen. You understand that? And, and so Job 5.7 says that man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. That means he's going he's to screw up. That's the Bible's way of saying, we're going to screw up. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 and 23 says, What does a man get for all the toil and anxious, striving with which he labors under the sun? This is Solomon. All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. Who identifies with that? Anybody have sleepless nights where you're dog tired in maybe all three ways, but you just can't sleep because you're in turmoil within? This is humanity. And you know what Solomon says at the end? This too is meaningless. I understand that because I should be able to fall asleep and I can't. I can't do it. This is what Solomon's talking about. You see, apart from Christ, we should not be at all surprised that we experience suffering and sorrow in life just like he did. We should never be surprised of that. And yes, sometimes I am. Because I, like you, think But wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I be be exempt from this? Has anybody thought that? You know? Shouldn't I be exempt from this? And yet I read, the Bible says that we're all sinners. And I'm like, well, yeah. um, But I'd like to think I'm, I'm kind of past most of that. But that doesn't change where I came from, does it? You see, we're all under God's condemnation. His just condemnation. And we're all simply getting what we deserve as humanity. And we shouldn't be surprised of that either. And you know what? Even Christians shouldn't be surprised by it. The fact is we may be sealed in Christ and we may be on our way to heaven, but we still live on this earth. At least for now. Now we may be forgiven of our sins, but we still suffer the many consequences of those sins. There's certain things you just, right? And this is why I tell people, you know, yeah, I realize that you've changed your ways, and yeah, I realize that, but you, the consequences are going to roll down here. They're going to follow you based on the poor choices that you have made. There are no such thing, and I, I, I struggle with people that say this, Christians that say it, and some denominations teach it, that there are no more Old Testament curses. You do understand that, right? Christ did away with those. He slammed the door on those curses. However, poor choices will continue to haunt and follow us. You do know that. Some people say, I don't know why God's doing this to me. Well, God, God isn't doing anything to you. God is holding, withholding his judgment until the day he decides to bring judgment. But the poor choices in life will follow you. And Lord knows I've made a few. Anybody? Yep, and the consequences are always going to still be there until they aren't. So we have to remember that this is true. And I'll tell you something else that's going to happen. We're also going to suffer persecution simply because we believe in Jesus Christ. You you know, this this is the choice you have to make. And some people try to compromise that choice. You cannot. You cannot. First of all, God won't let you, and neither will Satan. Did you hear that? God will not allow you to compromise your choice, and neither will Satan. Remember the Bible says, you'll love one and hate the other. You can't serve two masters. You've got to serve one. But here we are doing this, trying to serve both. I want everything heaven allows me, but I don't want to identify with the cross. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it, you know, when... It's okay when I'm in a church setting or church people or Christians and that sort of thing. But when I get in a group of people that won't like it, they'll be offended or they'll persecute me for my faith. Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just not gonna do it then. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make it subtle. I'm gonna be shh, hush, hush. And God says, "You, you cannot deny me." And Satan says, "I know who you serve. Now, don't I?" He's done it to me more than once. Anybody? I know you, sir. And sometimes it's him. By poor choices that we will make. Jesus said to his disciples very plainly, In this world you will have trouble. Anybody know that's to be true? Who knows today that you're going to have trouble in this life? Who's had trouble? <laughs> John says, back there, both hands up. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, you will have trouble. He was talking about persecution because just a little earlier he said this. If the world hates you, remember this now, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And if it does, we have a problem, amen? As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you, get this, out of the world that is why the world hates you. But there's more. For Christians, a third source of suffering in this life is God's discipline. And I don't like that one neither. Has God ever disciplined anybody in here today? Anybody ever felt like maybe God disciplined you just a little bit? <laughs> Who likes it? Anybody says, oh, goody, I get to get disciplined today. Nobody. No one. And if you do, that is a severe behavioral disorder. Make an appointment with me. If you enjoy pain that much, we need to talk. Anyone? I try to avoid pain at all costs, yeah? I mean, who, who likes uh, inoculations? Anybody like to get shots? Nobody in here shockingly raised their hands because we don't like them. In fact, do you know that certain people are somewhat willing to risk the pain of a procedure just because they're more afraid of the shot than the other procedure? Am I right, daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, you, you, did, you see, right? Nobody likes those types of things. And yet Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a righteousness, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, God disciplines us for our own good, and yet it still hurts. It doesn't, it It still hurts because discipline, in my opinion, has never been pleasant. And so, friends, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, Christian or unbeliever, it matters not, you're all going to walk a path of suffering and sorrow in this life because you're human. Some are going to suffer more than others. I've known people that suffered more than others, right? Have you ever known somebody who, maybe it's you, This seems like, Everything, I, I'm a Murphy. How many of you know what Murphy, Murphy means? I'm a Murphy. My mother was a Murphy, and my uncle always had that little sign that said, if anything can go wrong, it's Murphy's Law, if anything can go wrong, it will. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a mentality, and I used to think, gosh, that's not true. Then you get a little older, and you're like, eh, maybe it is. Yeah. But some do suffer more than others, and it seems like it it follows them around. And no matter how good they are, or no matter how hard they try, even when they do things right, trouble's there. It's a phenomenon maybe we'll never understand. And it seems that on the other side of the spectrum, some people always seem to get away free and clear. Have you known him? Don't you just dislike, I can't say hate, don't you dislike that person? Nobody dislikes the person who seems to get away with everything. Always comes out, how do we call it, smelling like a rose. Yeah. It seems. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Because nobody really does. We all experience trouble and sorrow in this life, and it's part of our our lot in life because we're living in this fallen world. And we, we have to understand that part because when Jesus came to earth as a man, he did not exempt himself from the trouble. He went through it just like us. In fact, it seemed like he went and found trouble. And when you follow him, so will you. And you're going to have friends and family who aren't believers. Be like, Why would you do that? You don't, you don't have to do that. But you and I both know that even though It sounds reasonable to them to just stay away from trouble. To have eternity, you do have to do it. Because eternity is worth it. It's always been worth it. And you've got to come to that realization or you will never understand and accept what Jesus did for you. And so from the cradle to the cross, Jesus walked the path of suffering and sorrow. And from Jerusalem to Calvary, he walked the way of grief, the Via Dolorosa. And he did it, friends for us so that he could forgive our sins. Secondly, there's another way. This is called the way of death and judgment. Now, this one's a little shocking because I think a lot of us think, well, you know, I get the first one, but the second one I'm not so sure I I agree with because that should change. Yeah. But understand, Jesus walked this way too. Have you considered that? How many of you know that Jesus walked the way of death and judgment? Let me explain that to you. See, we don't often think of it, but look at Matthew 16, 21. Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, and that he must be killed. That's death. <laughs> That's judgment, isn't it? He judicially was judged, found guilty, and got the punishment of death. Yes or no? Then he went the path. Amen. He was beaten, whipped, mocked, spat upon, struck repeatedly. He had a physical body. He suffered greatly, and he felt the same sensations of pain that you would feel if you were beaten to the point of losing your blood. Being so weak you can barely walk, and then, of course, being nailed to the cross. I personally can't imagine it, but he did it. Uh, He felt it. In the words of Isaiah, we find he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. But suffering and sorrow were not enough. For him to pay for our sins. Did you hear that? Suffering itself was not enough. The penalty for sin is what? Death. If Jesus was truly going to pay for our sins, what had to happen? Well, he had to die. He had to die. And so Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem and be killed. So you see, church, when Jesus wrote into Jerusalem that... Palm Sunday, he knew that his triumphal entry would result in dying five days later. He knew that. His disciples were told they didn't want to believe it. In fact, they tried to stop it, tried to talk him out of it, tried to not follow the path that God gave him, tried to deter him from it, even tried to physically end it. But he went anyway. Why? Why? Because the way of resurrection and life first passes through the way of suffering and sorrow. And then through the way of death and judgment. And let's be clear. Contrary to the belief of some, Jesus did not fake his death on that cross. I, I, I heard it time and again that it was faked. Had to be because the body was gone. Or it was never there. Or who, who knows what other things that's they've, they've, been said. You know. And I think in best Sunday school class, you guys talked about that a little bit. Because she saw a couple of things last night, and she said, am I getting this right? And I said, yeah, how about that? How about that? So you have to understand that it wasn't faked. In fact, he truly died. This was the reason he became a human in the first place. Hebrews 2 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, friends, we fear death because we fear judgment first. As a Christian, you fear death because you fear judgment first. Anybody fear judgment? See, (laughs) this death is worse than a physical death. Judgment and dying eternally is way worse than a physical death. How many of you know that? If you don't, you should. You see, physical death is part of God's judgment for sin, but there's a judgment beyond physical death as well. This is a day of judgment when we must all give an account of our lives unto the Father. God's going to demand that, and nobody's going to hide from it. The Bible says people are going to try to hide, but they won't be able to do it, will they, Carol? Will they, Marianne? Who knows, you won't be able to hide from that. No one will hide from it. And it doesn't take rock and science to know that. The Bible's clear. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Uh, That stuns me because I know that, and yet sometimes I think as humans we try to hide things from God. Has anybody tried to hide from God or hide stuff from God? Come on. Nobody in here has done that. Okay. A few of you are willing to. (laughs) that. Huh? Hiding things from God, right? (laughs) It's almost an oxymoron. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> the writer continues, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, Hebrews four thirteen. So just as none of us escaped the way of suffering and sorrow in this life, neither then were any of us escaped the way of death and judgment. Why? Because we've all sinned. We fall short of God's glory. and We must all face God's judgment after death. Unless Jesus walks this way with us and for us. Aren't you grateful for that? He did. And he did it. If Jesus doesn't walk this way, we walk it. He did it for us. That's why he walked the way of death and judgment. He experienced both death and judgment at the cross. He died for our sins, but more importantly, he died, get this, in our place. He took God's judgment for sin upon himself. In fact, Romans 8 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I've written that right here and here. I know that scripture backward and forward. Because I, as a Christian, ought to. I need to be reminded of that. Because when the times are difficult and that happens a lot, I can remember that. That he took my place. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Christ already paid the price at the cross. He died for you. He died for you. (laughs) So that the possibility that you might live for him became available to you. See, his death just made the possibility. You still have to choose. And we waver from that sometimes, don't we? There's that path again. Who's, who's done that wavy path? Anybody? You see, admitting that is the first step. It's the hardest part. When you stand before God for judgment, only one thing is really going to matter. You're either going to stand before the great white throne of judgment or you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I know which one I want to be at. Anybody with me here? If you stand before the great white throne of judgment, is there any way out? No. No, there's not. There's not. So here's the thing. Only one thing's ever going to really matter. And that is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? See, we, in, in our churches today, we have different opinions about how deep that is or what it really means. But we all agree that it's a thing. <laughs> we all agree that that happens. That you have to choose Christ as your Savior. And so the question is, do you believe he died on the cross for your sins in place, in place of you? Have you trusted Christ to forgive your sins and wash you clean? Have you decided to model his life in yours? Because, you see, unless you can answer those questions as yes, well, then you can't know the third way of Easter that we're about to get to, which is the way of resurrection and life. So Let's take a look at that. The way of Via Dolorosa for Jesus meant life for you and me. Back in Matthew sixteen twenty one, Jesus told his disciples that he must suffer and that he must be killed, but then on the third day, raised to life. You remember that part? Raised to life. Now, we've traveled with Jesus on the Via Dolorosa this morning, the way of grief and sorrow. We've traveled with Jesus to the cross, the way of death and judgment. We've gone down those paths. Now, at last, we come to Easter Sunday, which is the way of resurrection and the way of life. That's where we're at now. And so Jesus said on the third day he would be raised to life. So early that Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb to anoint the dead body of their Lord. You, you, You know the story, right? Everybody knows the story. But when they got there, what happened? Well, the children told us this morning that the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away. And the tomb was empty. More than that, the body was gone. Now, in the minds of a lot of people, there's only two ways that happens. Only two ways that happens. Either somebody came and took it, or it came to life. Amen? Which one do you think it is? That's, that's the key here. Which one do you, which story do you believe? And you've got to make that choice. All of us do. There's no, there's no picking a third choice. Like I said, many times, I worked in a funeral home a long time. And I've never, ever seen a body get up and walk out. Ever. And I'm going to tell you, that would... <laughs> That'd be something. So if it's not there, and I know I left it there the night before, somebody come and got it. Something, something, something going on, or I missed the rapture. <laughs> Anybody? Ow! Yeah. Woo! That's big stuff right there. And then they, the women they found these angels from heaven and they proclaimed the good news. They said, "He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay." And then the angels instructed them, you know, to go tell the disciples the good news that he had actually risen from the dead. Now, you know, I, you know, I don't know. If, I'm sure Pat McGann isn't watching this morning. But at McGann Funeral Home in South Bend, you know, if I'd have walked in and I'd have said, "Hey, where's Johnson?" He said, "Well, <laughs> it's a miracle. He rose from the dead." i would be like, dude, let's go get you checked out. <laughs> right? Can you imagine what the women were thinking when these angels told them? Now, the angels might be your first clue. That would be your first freak out. Anybody? Who would freak out if angels were hanging out? And you could say, well, what if they didn't know they're, well, they were angels? Listen, do you think they knew they were angels? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so then the angel said, you know, he's not here, he's, he's raising the dead. And you, you know the women are talking to themselves now, right? And they're walking along, and you, can you imagine the dialogue between, the Bible doesn't tell us what that dialogue was. I want to be there, I want to know what, what are they thinking, what are they saying? And in the coming days, we find that the Bible tells us that Jesus would appear to the disciples on numerous occasions. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the original 12 minus 1 that he had called into ministry with him. And on one occasion, the Bible says that he appeared to more than 500 followers at one time. Now listen, they all can't be living the same lie because they're all living the same truth. It happened. The Bible says that they said they were eyewitnesses to this fact. There's no doubt about it. Christ had risen from the dead. He had conquered sin and death. But what really happened? Well, it's pretty simple. <laughs> he got up out of the grave. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something, friends. That's going to happen again. It's happened before. It happened in Jerusalem. How many of you remember the story that it happened in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Can you imagine hanging out on the day that when, when Christ died and the curtain was ripped and all of a sudden the tombs opened and Moses, and well, Moses wasn't there, but, but some of the other people that died in the area got to start walking around, that would freak you out. Hey, I think that's Uncle Jim over there. What, would that freak you out? You'd be like, huh. Yeah? Are you with me here? That happened. Here's the deal. You know the Bible doesn't tell us how they all got back in there. <laughs> I mean, how do you tell somebody, "Hey, you're not supposed. To, you need to be back over here, bud." Right? That's that's freaky stuff right there. But but this is this is God now. So what do you think's going to happen when Christ appears in the clouds? Is that same thing? Gonna, is that going to manifest again? Are the graves going to open? Are they? You see. Whoever's in the tomb, who's ever, you know, six feet down or wherever you might be. The Bible says that, that wherever the bodies are, they're going to be, even if they're in pieces or they're cremated or whatever. And you can argue whether cremation is Christian or isn't. And, and the Bible does not say. Okay? And you're, you can have your own convictions and beliefs. But here's the deal. It does not matter at this point where the body is or what the disposition is because God's going to put it back together again. He's going to do that. And when he does, it's going to be whole again. And wherever the body is, and if it's in the grave, I, I think it has to be quite a sight to see that dirt blow up out of there and those, and those uh, vaults open and those caskets open and those people come out. It doesn't matter what condition they're in now. It's only going to come, matter what condition they're in when they come out. And you know what they're going to be. They're going to be in the likeness of Christ because he said so. And whatever ailments they had, those are gone. Whatever their demise, gone. And they're whole again. All of those who are in Christ, the dead first, will rise again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, get this, will never die. I take him in his word. Here's the question that determines everything about your salvation and the possibility of your resurrection. Are you ready? Do you believe this? It's that simple. Do you believe this? Every pastor who's Christian this morning, it doesn't matter if you're Wesleyan, United Methodist, Baptist, Nazarene, Church of God, Pentecostal, Independent, does not matter. We all believe this. Or you're not Christian. We all believe it. Do you believe that this will happen? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And do you believe that he arose from the grave that day? That's the ultimate question. And if so, let me encourage you to commit your life and faith to Jesus Christ this morning so that you can share in the joy of Easter, not just today, but forever. Now, the Bible tells us that when Christ appears in the clouds on the day of Jubilee, the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected. The Apostle Paul was told by Christ how this would happen, and Paul tells it like this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And oh my goodness, I can't imagine what that's like. And the dead in Christ will rise rise first, and after that we who, who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will go to be with the Lord, get this, forever, forever. My dear friends and all who are hearing this message today, wherever you are, are you ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready to walk the way of resurrection and life with Christ? And if so, then accept his offer. Accept his offer. And live in a manner reflective of his life. Not yours, his. Reflective of his. Think and believe in the manner and way that the Bible says that we must. Not ought, should, could, must. Remember what Jesus said in the very first stanza. He must do this. And you must live this way. Must is the key word, and both. He did his must, you do yours. And when that happens, friends, don't compromise on the commands of God. And many are doing that. We're compromising on the commands of God. And we cannot water down the truth. Everybody wants to do that too. Well, I know it's easier. I know it's more acceptable. I know it's more pleasing to us. I know it gives us more autonomy, more decision in our own But Friends, God doesn't give you that authority. He says either you believe and live like it or you don't. Because when I return, you will be in or out. In or out. Sheep or goat. It's up to you. And unfortunately, and this is what pastors are scared to death to say. The Bible is clear that there's going to be a lot more goats than there ever are sheep in there. A lot more. Because one gate is wide and the other is narrow. And you know what the the irony is of this whole thing? All of them going through those gates think they're Christian. He's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about those who said they were. Because immediately after that, what does he say? Many of you are going to come to me and you're going to say, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. But I thought, no buts. It doesn't matter what you thought. It matters what I said. Which do you choose? So my friends, live your life each day in a manner pleasing to Christ. Tell others about him. And help them on their paths of suffering and sorrow. Because they're going to be on them. Help them on their path of death and judgment. So that they too can share in his resurrection and life. And as our worship team comes this morning. You're shocked, aren't you? You've got 15 minutes. (laughs) Scotty, rock and roll up there. Here's the deal. This is what Easter is all about. Isn't it? Really? It's all about the way of life. It's the way that we really all want to take. But you can't get there from here just living life your way. And I'm telling you, there's people here today living life your way, and you know you are. You've been taught your whole life you can do that. Burger King is clear about it, and I'm gonna tell you this. This is interesting to me because Burger King. I don't know if they'll say that anymore. Because you want you want you want to mess them up, and I'm not. I love Burger King. You want to mess them up? Go into Burger King in the morning and say, you know. This is Burger King. I can have it my way, right? Well, I don't want a piece of ham or sausage on my breakfast biscuit. I want a hamburger on it. I had a girl tell me, "Oh, we can't, we can't do that." I mean, you can't do it. You got boxes of them back there. Throw one on the grill. I don't think we can do it. Really? Really? Probably ought to go get a manager. Manager come out and says, "Well, I never seen anybody do it, but yeah, we can do it." I thought you said I could have it my way. You see, I'm used to getting my way. And if they tell me I can't have it my way, what am I going to do? I'm going to complain, just as you are. We're going to complain. Because we're a people who want it our way. Friends, God gives you a lot of things that you can do your way. But he gives you parameters to work in. And when you say, yeah, I want heaven. Yeah, I want salvation. Yeah, I want eternity with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want your protection every day. I want you to be there and keep me from all the rotten stuff and the garbage and all that. You know, I want all that, but I'm going to do it my way, though. It's going to be my way, God, not yours. Now, we're never going to audibly say that. But we do it here, and we do it by our actions. And God says, no, unless I wash you completely, you can have no part of me. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.